You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Tavish. Good afternoon, Bruce. Good afternoon, Tavish. How are we today, gentlemen? Bruce, I'll start with you. How are you today? Because I don't want to forget you this time. Good afternoon. Um, you know, doing well, healthy, alive. We had a wonderful thunderstorm last night. Made sleeping fantastic. Yeah. Do you have a metal roof? No. I I, I know what you're talking about, though, because I, one of the houses I did live in had a metal roof. Uh-huh. Very peaceful. Very peaceful. Tavish, how are yes. you today? Yeah. Not bad, gentlemen. Hope your day's going well. Not too bad. Welcome back today. Get you back two days in a row. And we, of course, since we've had you two days in a row now, now we won't see you for two months this time, right? <laughs> I will try to avoid that. <laughs> well, now I'm wondering if we're going to get you back even more because of what we talked about yesterday when you said that you figured out you could work from home and not go into the office at all and you could make more money. So I'm wondering if we're actually going to get you more often. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was kicking myself after that conversation yesterday. I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> How have I mutated that? I could be sitting at home, not dealing with the public. And, and I figured I got to be genetically defective for me to go to work every day. All right. What is on the agenda today? What is front and center? What do you guys want to talk about today? It's got to be something good out there. So what I, I really don't want to talk too much of, about this COVID stuff. And I, to be honest with you, the, the politics side of it, like I just want to I just want to step back from it. I really don't want to talk about politics. I'm so tired of it. And uh, I mean, this morning I sat down. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get one of our old episodes, one like the one we did on time management about a year ago. Bruce, do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. I do. OK, so I went back and I pulled that one and I ran it through our new system and everything and I put it back out. I didn't republish it or anything. So uh, I just listened to it on my own. And you know what? I sent it to somebody else and they sat there and they listened to it and they said, you know, it's nice to actually hear something that's not political and not COVID related. So this coming week, we need to do something that's not politically related, not COVID related. And so I think we need to um, I think we need to take a step back from all this stuff. What do you think? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Know what the what else to go on right offhand. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll think of some. Well, everything is everything's political. I don't care. We can talk about making ice cream. You know, I got some great ice cream recipes. You know, people like mm -hmm. ice cream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Summertime. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we'll come up with something. I would like to go back and I would like to revisit some of those topics that we discussed back in the day. We're also looking at doing something on. Well, I'm not going to mention it yet, uh, but we're, we can't do it until Marty gets back. Uh, but we'll we'll get to it when he gets back. We're working on a special uh, with him as soon as he gets back and GP as well. So we're going to have those put together. But today, like I said, I really don't want to get too much into like all the COVID stuff because I just don't care anymore. I haven't cared for quite some time now, to be honest. But I thought I would bring this up because this is your favorite governor, uh, Bruce. Uh, mm. And I mean, uh, Andrew mm -hmm. Cuomo. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's talking about the uh, the wealthy people from New York. Uh, he's he's begging the wealthy New Yorkers to come back and to save the city. And he's pleading with them, actually saying to them that he will buy them a drink, says that he won't raise their taxes if they just come back. Uh, he said that on Tuesday. 
He was talking to the city's wealthiest residents. Many fled for the Hamptons, which I believe that's where his brother lives. I'm not sure. Upstate New York or Connecticut when the pandemic hit, which Connecticut, I think they're even turning them back. Uh, Rhode Island as well. In May, at least 420,000 of the city's wealthiest residents fled the city. Those are the close to the 500,000 we heard that were leaving New York City. Their exodus was cemented when riots and looting tore through the city in June. Well, your mayor was out there endorsing those riots, marching with them in the streets. So you didn't let the NYPD stop it. Um, what do you think was going to happen? Now there's calls for higher taxes on the super wealthy to offset the projected $30 billion in deficit from New York over the next two years, which, by the way, he's actually calling for a bailout now. He's asking Trump for a bailout. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, is asking Donald Trump for a bailout of $30 billion because the state is out of money. Now, first of all, the state shouldn't be asking in any state. I don't care if it's New York or if it's Iowa. You shouldn't be asking the federal government for a bailout. Second of all, even if you do ask for one, you shouldn't give it to them if you're the federal government, because we don't bail out states. That's not how it works. And you don't go over the head of the federal government and go to the Fed either and get the money. Because, look, your actions, your policy, your overreach of power and your policies of lockdowns are what caused that state to go bust. On top of that, you're taxing the hell out of the wealthy people. So what do you think they're going to do? What's going on in California? The proposal out there is to raise the taxes by 54%, 54% on the top earners or raise it to 54%. I'm sorry, on the top earners. And so what are they going to do? If that passes, they're going to leave the state. You're going to drive all of them out of the state. And then what are you going to do? You're going to ask the federal government for money because your policies cause the uh, the earners to leave. How are you going to run your social programs? It just it doesn't make any sense. These people live in the now. They don't live in the tomorrow or the five years or the 10 years. They live in what we can do now as opposed to what's going to happen down the road. Guess it goes back to that emotional response. You know, I seem to remember in history class growing up, wasn't there something about throwing tea in a harbor because of taxation without representation and that being was a, overtaxed? That was a 2% tax. 2%. Yeah. That was a 2%. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, that, that harbor was in your town, wasn't it, Tavish? That harbor was in your town. Boston. Boston Harbor. The Tea Party. Two per, yeah. 2% is all it took uh -huh. for that to happen. Yep. That's what the American Revolution was over 2% taxes on tea. That was it. And now we're looking at 54% state income taxes on top of your federal. Mm, 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 no. How times have changed. Oh, isn't it? Governor Cuomo, he's furious that there remains no national plan to tackle COVID-19. Of course, there's not. There isn't a national plan. No government has a plan for this. Their plan is to maintain and to continue this agenda. That's all they're being told. They don't have any plans. If we actually had a plan, then we would have this thing wrapped up by the end of the month. And I'm not joking when I say that. I'm not I'm not being facetious either. I'm being dead serious. We could actually have this wrapped up in a month if we could get these people out of the way. Now, if you don't believe that, I'm just going to point you in this direction. If you don't believe that, go look at the doctors that they're banning. Look at the doctors that they're firing across the board. Look at what they're saying and then make your own mind up. But we could have this wrapped up in two them. to three weeks. What's that? If you can find them. If you can find them. some yeah. of the... Some of the doctors, like their videos and whatnot, have been banned from YouTube and all yep. the social media sites. So it's difficult to even find that information. Uh, yes. I mean, you and can find it on, on other video providers, you know. You can. Crime is up in the city of New York with a shocking 286% in robberies on the Upper East Side alone, which we talked about that uh, yesterday, uh, day before yesterday. I'm sorry. Shootings have gone up and arrests have been halved. 
And the NYPD has lost $1 billion from its budget. So, okay, the taxes are going up, although now Cuomo's saying that they don't want to raise them because he's pleading with the people. You allowed the riots in the city. You allowed the businesses to go up, the neighborhoods to go up. You allowed the looting because you have an incompetent mayor, who's a Marxist, by the way, who actually, he was on a radio show last week. He actually quoted Marx. And so... You, you have that. And then you've got the governor who's coming out saying, OK, well, we've got a call to raise the taxes on the wealthy because we've got a 30 billion dollar deficit. Oh, but we might ask the federal government for a bailout. But we don't want restaurants and bars to reopen. But yet you're saying you're going to buy these people a drink in your press conference. <laughs> I, I'm really confused about all this. I mean, I understand New Yorkers are kind of, you know, it's confusing sometimes, especially if you're a Midwesterner. But this guy, man, I can't get I can't get a handle on this guy. I, I really can't. I can't follow this guy at all. Hmm. You and me both. Now you know why he's my favorite. New Yorkers are a special breed. I think we all agree on that. Uh, they are. Yeah. But you've mentioned something about New Yorkers coming up, buying up all the real estate from your neck of the woods, right? Western Massachusetts. Um, Lee, Beckett, Pittsfield, so on and so forth. Originally it was summer homes. And then when the pandemic hit, a lot of them were buying property to get out of the city, to get away from the city. And these uh, are and the, the part of the 400. Yes. Uh, it, that is they are part of that group. But the trickle-down effect, low-wage families are being pushed out of the housing market, so on and so forth, because they're buying up all the land, putting up the mansions. And these were small rural towns to begin with. They weren't flush with cash. Now you're losing housing. Prices are going up. It, it, it's a snowball effect. Governor Cuomo said at his press conference, I literally talked to people all day long who are in their Hamptons house who also lived here. He's speaking about people that left the cities. Or they're in their Hudson Valley house or in their Connecticut weekend house. And I say, you got to come back here. When are you coming back? We'll go to dinner. I'll buy you a drink. Come over. I'll cook. He's offering to cook for them now. You see, you hear this? He's offering to cook them a meal now because don't go to a restaurant where you can get egg rolls and pot stickers because apparently you can't get or, or Cuomo chips. Right. We don't we don't want to go anywhere. that has that. <laughs> But they're only a buck. I thought that was clever. The Cuomo chips. It is clever. It's innovative. I, I got to give him credit for that. Because, yep. look, this is all nonsense anyway, right? We, we all know this. So if a business is mm. going to come in and do an end run around that and try and keep themselves open, good on you. You know, it's a, it's what we call a loophole, right? And they just exploited that loophole. That's all they did. Lawyers do the same thing, right? They exploit loopholes all day long. Hell, they write the loopholes. I hate to um, say this, but the Patriots, Bill Belichick, famous for finding loopholes in the NFL regulations. Same thing. I'm sorry. I, Sports, I, I'm sorry, politics. I, you're, you're breaking up a little bit there. I couldn't hear you through the sound of hacked communications and deflated game balls. I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, I couldn't, couldn't hear you. I, I know, I know. I'm a Pats fan, you know, but I got to throw that out there. You know, realistically, it happens in any realm, whether it's politics, religion, yeah, you know, there's always going to be loopholes that people look for. In the case of the Cuomo chips, I give the guy credit for, you know, coming up with a novel approach to try to make some money in a bad time. But now he said, he says they're not coming back right now. And you know what else they're thinking? If I stay there, I'll pay a lower income tax because they don't pay the New York City surcharge. Then lower the taxes. Right. I know people that live in Long Island and you know something they wish that they they could go back over into the city. They've moved out of the city out to Long Island because they can't afford to live in the boroughs any longer. So now they have to live 30 miles outside, or excuse me, 30 minutes outside the city in order to, to stay in that area. But they have to commute there every day now. So I, I just OK, I understand you've got to take care of social programs and stuff. OK, I get it. I get it. I don't, I don't agree with it, but we have them. So we need to use them. But for crying out loud, you're taxing the uh, the rich to the point of they're leaving and then you're complaining when they leave. So just, I mean, get your stuff together. Anything on Cuomo before we go to the checkpoints? Yeah, he's terrible. 
I thought you loved him. That's why I was talking about that. Well, see, he's he's the one favorite that I have. And uh, see, the reason he's my favorite is because of all the people he killed in the retirement homes. That's why I keep an eye on it. So New York City, right? As if that wasn't bad enough about the uh, about the taxes and wanting to raise all that stuff up as if that wasn't bad enough. Now you have New York City. This is it just gets more crazy as the day goes on. New York City is setting up quarantine checkpoints at city borders. So now they're going to now they're going to quarantine the city. So they're going to have checkpoints set up going in and out. So what you're going to set up checkpoints on every bridge going in and out of Manhattan? Is that what you're going to do? Place is starting to look like the division more and more, isn't it? Right. I was just going to say escape from New York. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, well, it's just it's crazy. New York City is going to set up checkpoints into the city to check out of state travelers to make sure they're following quarantine rules. So what what, what are you going to do? You're actually going to stop them. You're going to say, OK, uh, you need to quarantine. So make sure you do that when you get there. What are you going to escort them to their final destination? Is that how you're going to enforce um, it? That's uh, also kind of, you know, authoritarian. Rule. Well, it's authoritarian, but when when you say rule instead of law, yeah, when it's a rule, you don't have any you don't have any authority to uphold it or or to enforce it. When it's a law, that's different. The New York City Sheriff's Office is setting up quarantine checkpoints at major bridges and tunnels into the city. Mayor Bill de Blasio says New York City is holding the line. Uh, See, they're holding the line, holding the line against COVID-19. And New Yorkers have shown tremendous discipline because you've shut everything down and you've sent them home. Of course, they're showing discipline because you're whatever. We're not going to let our hard work slip away and we'll continue to do everything we can to keep New Yorkers safe and healthy. Oh, now, see, see how much he cares. You see how much Mm. Warren Wilhelm Jr. (laughs) You see how much he cares about his citizens? Mm -hmm. Fifth of all new coronavirus cases in the city are from out-of-state visitors, according to city officials. See, it's not the New Yorkers. So where were all the cases in the beginning then? So they all went away then? So it's not coming back. And the only resurgence you're seeing are from people from outside the city that are coming in or people that left and they're coming back. I don't understand. You still have flights going into LaGuardia and JFK. Local authorities also plan to set up a checkpoint at Penn Station to check visitors who arrive by train. We need to ensure visitors and New Yorkers returning home are taking the necessary precautions to limit the spread of the disease. That's the uh, New York City Sheriff Joe Facito. So the non-essential workers, right? These are the rules, Okay. Now, they've dropped it. It was 39 states. Now it's 35 states that are on the list, okay? You have to go through a 14-day quarantine when you arrive in the state. You might as well just not even go. Non-essential workers subject to the quarantine must stay in their residence or in a hotel room, leaving only for essential medical appointments or treatment to obtain food or other essential goods when the delivery of food or other essential goods to their residence or hotel is not feasible. So you've got to stay in a hotel room for two weeks. You are not allowed to invite guests other than caregivers, into their quarantine residence or hotel room. You must self-monitor for symptoms of COVID-19, which I think everything from a slight headache now is a uh, is a symptom of COVID-19. And seek appropriate medical advice or testing if COVID-19 symptoms arise. So if you have a headache, then you need to make a phone call to a doctor's office. Essential workers subject to the state's quarantine must, self-monitor for symptoms, of course, limit their activities involving contact with other persons for 14 days to the purposes that exempt them from the self-quarantine requirement to the extent possible. Tell me a lawyer didn't write that. If staying longer than 36 hours in New York State, seek diagnostic testing for COVID-19 as soon as possible upon arrival within 24 hours. Anyone breaking the quarantine, this is your part, Bruce, anyone caught breaking the quarantine could face a $10,000 fine. 
Individuals who refuse to fill out the New York State Department of Health travel form are subject to a $2,000 fine. Hmm. So I can't really say what I think of that on recording. I, I don't know. Like nobody's resisting this. Nobody's uh, like they, they just don't go to New York, I guess, uh, is, is the bottom line. I mean, I'm not going up that direction anyway. So you're going to you're going to do that kind of stuff. It's it's going to hurt your tourism. It's going to hurt um just interaction with other states. I'm not even sure it's constitutionally legal, but, you know, because the whole interstate clause, you know, uh, travel among states and all that kind of stuff, it's not supposed to be hindered, but uh, there you are hindering it. So I I, I don't know who in their right mind is going to quarantine for two weeks. Let's, let's say you're going on vacation or something, right? Let's say uh, I'm going to take a five day vacation to New York and I'm going to, you know, experience New York. I can't do that now in the middle of the quarantine, that's almost three weeks uh, I'd be up there because you want me to quarantine. And another thing, are you going to pay for my quarantine? Are you going to pay for my stay there? Are you going to pay for my food? Are you going to pay for the the other stuff? Because you're mandating that I have to do this. I'm not giving you my money to do that. Don't forget the cost of the uh, COVID test. Uh, there is that. Exactly. There, there is so, that. Yeah, I'm, but I'm, I'm. They're making it impossible, though, to do any kind of business, right? They're talking about like Cuomo's going out there and he's saying, well, uh, I'll, I'll buy you a drink. I'll, I'll buy you dinner. Uh, I'll even cook for you myself. OK, fine. But look what you're doing. You and that bum mayor, you're making it impossible to even do business in the state. Let me put this into perspective. Let's say I'm a business person and I have a meeting in New York City with executives, OK, or, or whatever, right? Whatever it is you're doing. But you need to go to New York for the meeting. All right. A lot of business happens there. It's a major financial hub, if not the financial hub of the West, next to possibly London and even Frankfurt or Paris. So you go to New York. If you're a business person, you have to get to New York. You have to go through 14 days of quarantine. Then you have to go to your meeting that could probably only take an hour, maybe two. sign your deal, whatever it is you're doing. And then you leave. You have to leave the state immediately. But then you go back to wherever it is you're coming from. Oh, you came from, especially if it's an EU country, they're not even allowing people in. However, if you're a citizen or a resident here, they have to let you in. However, you're going to go through a quarantine depending on what country you reenter. So you're looking at a month, a month, two weeks in the US, two weeks on the EU side for what? A one hour meeting? They're making it impossible to do business with these BS policies. So as a result, you're going to have international businesses that suffer along with this. This is not something that's that's practical at all. I mean, I'm all for practicality. I'm all for things that work. And this doesn't work. Travel aside about your vacation deal, right? You were saying, well, I'm just, you know, go, mm -hmm. go up there and travel. OK, fine. Well, who's going to go to a place where you need to stay in a hotel for two weeks and you can't come out? If you come out, they're going to fine you $10,000. Oh, if you want to go burn down the if you want to go burn down a taco stand, that's fine. If you want to go burn down a delicatessen, if you want to loot a Nike store, if you want to smash in an Apple store, that's fine. That's fine. That's your right. But if you step out of your hotel room to get a sandwich, then we're going to fine you $10,000. Oh, and that's another $2,000 if you don't want to fill out the form. You're right. People aren't Quick pushing back on it. Quick question for you, sir. Has anybody actually been fined yet? It's a good question. I don't know. If they are, then we're not hearing about it. That was my point, because I haven't heard about anybody getting fined. I heard something about they were doing the uh, checkpoints, um, fine for travel violations, but I had not heard about anyone actually being cited 
four violations yet. Well, I'm not exactly sure, but I don't think you'll get those numbers. Example, we were talking yesterday morning about a, um, before you came in, we were talking about a, uh, a barber out in the county just outside of Seattle, Washington. The guy was getting fined $5,000 a day for operating his business until finally the bill came due and it was $90,000 worth of fines. So if you're just sitting there ignoring them and they're going to continue to rack up, I mean, we'll probably hear some hit piece somewhere about some story. Here's a person that got, you know, $100,000 worth of fines, and that'll be it. That's my guess anyway. Well, actually, there was yeah, a gym owner in Massachusetts, went through the same thing, refused to close, refused to close. And I believe it's been a month and a half now, and he's been racking up fines. But that's all you really hear about. You don't hear about Joe Schmo. It's the isolated cases. So that's why I was curious if anybody had actually been fined yet. Because to me, I would imagine people would start, you'd start hearing voices from somewhere if there were large numbers of people that are getting fined for travel violations, uh, not filling out the form, things like that. So I don't think they've actually put it into force per se. It might be, oh, let's make it an example of this guy, the case of the barber or the gym owner. But that's why I question if they're actually finding Joe and Jane Q citizen. Because I really haven't heard too much about it. That That's what made me curious if they actually put that into force or if it's the old crudgel over the head. Behave or else. I, I personally... Now, I don't know where you guys stand on this one, but I think it's like we're getting close to the realm of uh, civil disobedience. Would you disagree or would you agree with that? And I'm talking about the just the general public, because as Bruce said, there there's not any pushback on this. Well, there needs to be pushback on this. And when I say civil disobedience, I'm not talking about violence. That's not what I mean. I mean, take your ticket and cram it and go on about your business. First of all, let's start with this aspect of it. The police... Okay, the police. And I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to bash the NYPD. I've worked with the NYPD. They are great people, fantastic people, some of the finest I've ever worked with. These officers should know better than this crap. They should know better than this. You don't follow this. The police officers should not be out there enforcing this. So if they're not enforcing that, as as you're talking about there, if they if say, well, have they handed out any of these fines? Well, I hope not. I, I certainly hope not, because if you're a person that lives in that area, in New York City, and you get a $10,000 fine or $2,000 fine or whatever it is, how long are you going to stay there? I certainly wouldn't. The police should not be doing this. More than that, the citizenry in general, they shouldn't be putting up with this any longer either. And when, by that, I mean civil disobedience to the point of, of saying, look, you can sit there and say you're going to enforce this, you're going to do this or whatever. But the citizenry, I think the ultimate pushback on this one, as far as civil disobedience goes from the standpoint I'm talking about, go about your daily lives, all of them. What are they going to do? What are they going to do if the entire city goes out and reopens all the businesses, everything just like a normal New York day? OK, what are they going to do? What? The answer is nothing. They're going to go on TV. They're going to kick. They're going to scream. They're going to crow. They're going to spit. They're going to do everything that is that they do. They're going to send their people out there. The ones that they've got brainwashed that say, if you don't wear a mask, you're going to die. Always going to happen. But the fact is, is the pushback from the people has to come. It has to be there. We are kind of seeing pushback here in this part of the country. People aren't wearing masks or... Now, I haven't really been out and around the last week or so. They do have the... Uh, supposedly, we're supposed to have mandatory masks now. But, you know, more or less, we had already had civil disobedience. In fact, um, we've had disobedience that was... Not really civil. The first time they tried to do the mask mandate, there was yeah, a gun pulled heard, on one of the I counselors in like three hours. So <laughs> sorry. I don't mean to laugh. It's just I, OK. So, yeah. Uh, by the way, these lockdowns and these, you know, I heard an interesting point here yesterday. 
if you noticed that churches and schools are the things that they're saying we should keep locked down and, yeah. you know, we should do mail-in voting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Churches and schools are one of the main voting places. It's one of the main. Mm-hmm. Those are also protected by the First Amendment. Just saying. Well, that, yes, that that as well. Well, churches, not not schools per se, but churches. I know uh, Rhode Island, for example, governor issued the executive order, mandatory face masks. Um, most police departments have not enforced it. And as they put it, one cop said, it's like trying to empty the ocean using a teacup. There's no way they could keep up with it. Uh, it with everything else going on, really, you want us to enforce this. So it's one of those things, okay, we can enforce the mask thing, but now what, you know, crime's going up, is that the other thing? Finite resources. They can only do so much slicing the pie. So realistically, I don't see a lot of police departments enforcing the mask law. It's more the honor system. People do, people don't. That's their choice. But in terms of enforcement, I don't see how they could do it. It's like when we talked about how, um, when it first started closing state borders, how difficult that would be. You'd need every active duty National Guard and reserve troop in the country. And even then you couldn't lock the country down. you You just couldn't do it. Too many ways to get around it. So I think realistically, they put the order out and they hope for the best. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. But I don't see how they could mandate everybody in the country to do this. There's not enough cops, not enough military, you know, and they can't even really use the military because it would be a law enforcement function. And they're prohibited from that, except in certain circumstances, I believe. You're referencing posse commentatus, I believe. Yes, that's the one. Thank you. Um, but also Bruce brought up about interstate commerce. Um I don't know the specific language of it, but and if it's not specifically spelled out for federal authority, does not that authority then revert to the states? Uh, I, I, you know, I'd have to look at the I'd have to look at the the wording as well. But I'm pretty sure when it comes to the interstate stuff, it's not to be tendered. Basically, you're supposed to be able to travel freely amongst the states. So it's not explicitly said, but that's one of the things that's interpreted in it. Uh, by lawmakers usually, because it's it's usually about business and and trade uh, amongst the states. So they just say, well, that includes travel and uh, as well, because if you can freely trade, that means you have to be able to freely travel amongst there. So it's 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 kind of one of those that they they tie them together. That's why I wasn't sure of the exact language, and I wanted to check with you guys on it. Yeah. So it authorizes Congress to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with Indian tribes. So it's technically, if the if you want to do it technically, based on just that, it would be Congress that would have to do a lockdown, technically speaking. Are you sure it was that one? That's the Commerce Clause, yeah. There was something else I thought. All right, so this is what it is. All right, so the right to travel, this, this listed as it's interpreted, right? And there is precedent that they're using this. Uh, Shapiro versus Thompson in, uh, in one case. I believe that there was another one that they used precedent for. So basically the right to travel, right? The doctrine of the right to travel is, it's actually, it, they break it down into three separate rights, two of which are notable for the uncertainty in their textual support. The first is the right of a citizen to move freely between the states, a right venerable for its longevity, but is still lacking clear doctrinal basis. The second expressly addressed by the first sentence of article four, each state to honor all others, right? That's the one. So so full faith and credit shall be given to each state to the public acts, records, judicial proceedings of every other state. And the Congress may by general laws prescribe 
the manner in which such acts, records, and proceedings shall be proved and the effect thereof. Uh, they're interpreting this, and they, they made reference or they made press ruling on this precedent of uh, one of the one of these cases here, and it says that essentially that is providing a citizen of one state who's temporarily visiting another state immunities and privileges of the citizen of the latter state. So the third is the right of a new arrival to the state who establishes citizenship in that state to enjoy the same rights and benefits as other state citizens. Uh, the right is often, or excuse me, the right is most often invoked in challenges to the uh, durational residency requirements, which require that persons reside in a state for a specific period of time before taking advantage of the benefits of that state's citizenship. So that's what it is. Why were we talking about that again? We get off on these constitution rants. Right of travel and whether or not they could um, quarantine, forcibly quarantine oh, yes. yeah, okay. a visitor from another yeah. state. But I mean, you could make argument to that, I suppose, because this goes against the commerce clause, in my opinion, because of what we were talking about with business. So- mm-hmm. They're making it impossible to do business. Literally, it's impossible to do business. If you have to go to a city to do a meeting, it's going to cost you a month to go to a meeting for one day. That's impossible. You cannot do business like that. You can't do business effectively. You can't turn a profit. It's just, it's a mess. Anyway, all right, let's get off this COVID crap. Uh, Beirut, we know a little bit more, right? What's going on in Beirut? Yeah, so Beirut, that was the large explosion that we had seen. Um, Now we're seeing pictures of the aftermath and some reports on it. Currently, they have 100 people that are uh, confirmed killed and over 4,000 wounded. They're expecting the number of dead to rise as rescuers sift through the rubble. It's crazy the the amount of destruction um, in, in these pictures, uh, the, the rubble and everything this. everywhere. This is crazy, man. This looks honestly, they're making like the uh, uh, the city's governor on Wednesdays comparing the devastation to Hiroshima or Nagasaki. And that's kind of what it looks like in, in a way. I mean, did you see that mushroom cloud? We talked about it yesterday yeah. a little bit when we were oh, seeing the reports of it. Oh, that's, that's horrendous, man. It looks like everything that was pretty much in the in that shockwave is either rubble or was damaged pretty heavily. Uh, that that was a good that was a good swath of the city too. That was multiple blocks of city. The stuff that was kind of in the immediate area is just rubble. It, it's just it crumbled. Uh, there's uh, one picture that's showing it looked like the apartment complexes that were real somewhat close to it. They're really heavily damaged. You can you can tell bits of them are have fallen off. And it, yeah, it, it it's bad. Well, the one okay, I saw so- is just the, the amount of damage to the cargo cranes in the port area. I mean, twisted, buckled, melted. Uh, yeah. You know, these are huge solid steel structures. And it's like you, you look at the destruction. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's like you said, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that the force of the explosion was comparable, at least from what I've seen, on the scale that they see in Beirut right now. It says here that apparently uh, this was caused by twenty seven hundred tons of ammonium nitrate that had been stored in a warehouse at the dock ever since it was confiscated from a cargo ship in 2014. Okay, that's a lot of fertilizer. Uh, how much did, can you pull this real quick, Bruce? How much did was used, because that was the same, uh-huh. yeah, Oklahoma City, same thing. How much yeah. was used down there? Oh, look at that. That's like the search result. It's almost like uh, Google's listening into what we're talking about. Uh, it never would have guessed that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was in a cargo truck, if I remember, 55-gallon drums or something like that? Rider truck, yeah, rider truck. Yeah, it was a rider truck, yeah. Uh, of course the media hype back then I, I remember i mean i was in i think i was i think i was uh 12 like 11 12 years old when that happened and i remember that anytime you'd see a rider truck driving on the highway or around town 
everybody was looking at that thing. Oh, for weeks afterward. Yeah. I've, I've been down to the memorial and everything as well. Uh, not seeing a, God, that was 16 block radius, the Oklahoma City one. If that was 16, geez, that means the, the one in Beirut was way more than 16 then. Because the rider truck wouldn't have 16 block radius, the one in Oklahoma City. Oh, six, oh yes. Okay. So this was, they're saying and, this is 2,700 tons. That's a lot of fertilizer, man. That's a lot of fertilizer. Yeah. And the fact that it was confiscated off a cargo ship. Yeah. I'm thinking it was way more than Oklahoma City. So looking at these photos. Yeah. They're calling they're calling this uh, devastation kind of, like I said compared to um, uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki in Japan. I mean this is just this is terrible. The uh, the the prime minister down there uh, called for a day of mourning. Uh, he said, "Let's pray for the victims. Let's pray for their families. Let's pray for Lebanon." So the dedication of all of its social, political, and religious elements uh, in my face is extremely tragic and painful moment. And with the help of the international community, overcome this grave crisis that they are experiencing. International aid is heading to Beirut. Uh, Poland is sending a team of about 50 firefighters. Poland, of all people, uh, including 39 rescuers with four dogs and a chemical residue module. A Greek military transport plane is heading to Lebanon with a search and rescue team with specialized equipment and a sniffer dog, while Cyprus says it's sending help. Russia is sending emergency officials. They will send five plane loads of aid to Beirut after the explosion in Lebanese capital killed 100 people uh, and injured thousands. They're saying that somewhere in the neighborhood of around 300,000 people are now homeless because of this. To put things into perspective, I I wasn't able to find the actual amount of explosives used in Oklahoma City bombing, but I was able to find the tonnage limits for a rider truck. And basically, you're looking at about, if he would have filled the truck up full, uh, you're looking at at least 6,000 pounds. So 6,000 pounds did... Three um, tons. Three tons. So that did... 16 square blocks of damage. And this was how many tons in Beirut? 2,700. Yeah. So uh, that, that's uh, quite a big difference there. Wow. Okay. That is a big difference. Uh, and the explosion certainly uh, certainly uh, showed that it was that. I mean, that's just, that's crazy, man. So uh, as we continue to, uh, to watch that and monitor that situation, I mean, I knew that that was going to, they were calling, I think, like seven dead in the first. And I was like, oh, no, there's going to be a lot more than that. So uh, but anyway, Congress is now going to investigate top universities, financial ties to China. Right. And other foreign governments. This is long overdue. This is this is long overdue. Uh, we have we have some issues going on with uh, with China. I don't know if you guys are you know aware of that or not. We've, we've got a little bit of a problem with that country. And one of the things that we've talked or that we have we actually haven't talked about yet and we need to, uh, is something called uh, China's influence, uh, their, their foreign influence. And it's essentially, it's how they they go through a, a strategy of what's called sharp and soft power, okay? Now, what we talk about when it comes to sharp and soft power is the way that they infiltrate certain institutions, most notably academic institutions. That's been a target of theirs for the better part of a half century. Now, what do they do with institutions like academic institutions? What do they do? Uh, the foundations they set up. I know in um, Harvard, some of the others, MIT, uh, they would set up foundations to promote cultural exchanges. And basically what it was, these are government sanctioned and sponsored cultural missions to promote the so-called values of China, whether it's interaction on trade, politics, arts or whatever. And a lot of people were concerned because 
It was a de facto Chinese government mission that literally would set up on campus and start engaging with various cultural groups, trade groups, so on and so forth. And then you also count in the number of Chinese exchange students in the country. And that's where a lot of them were getting concerned because of the knowledge flow, learning from American institutions taking it back, but also economic espionage, intellectual espionage, uh, things along those lines. At least that's what I've been hearing over the last few years, uh, concerns about these, quote, educational missions. Just what exactly are they doing on campus? You are right on the money, sir. You are talking about something called a Confucius Institute. And this is Thank the- you. Yes. I'm sure you've probably heard that term before. I this have. Is, I just couldn't remember it. Yeah. This is what they set up. Basically, these are controversial, right? Now, why are these controversial? Because they lack transparency, right? They they operate on the university campuses themselves, as you just stated, Tavish. Uh, they do this, obviously, through foreign exchange students and things like that. They will come over. They will set up those institutions. And some of these, some people that have observed these these groups and these these organizations on college campuses, they'll say that most of them seem, you know, uh, innocuous, right? They, they're kind of, they emphasize Chinese language instruction, and they'll do like cultural events, like film exhibitions or some other elements that, um, you know, that, that it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of out of place if you think about it. It's 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 out of place that's on what you would consider to be an open and university setting. But the Chinese government's control of staffing and this curricula that they, that they put out through the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, ensures that the courses and the programming are just going to kind of subtly promote the Chinese Communist Party positions on issues that are critical or sensitive by the Chinese authorities. So they'll subtly slip in that little bit of information or whatever, such as like, you know, territorial uh, disputes, most notably Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, those types of things, or religious minorities such as Christians in China or uh, the Uyghurs, that would be the Chinese Muslims, the ones that are in forced labor camps over there. They got three million of them in Chinese slave labor camps. Just throwing that out there. The Chinese Muslims called Uyghurs, for those that don't know. So they'll subtly kind of slip all that stuff in there. Those that practice Falun Gong, right? The Tibetan monks, all that, all of that. But see, what they'll do is the Chinese authorities, right, the Confucius Institutes, they'll come out and they will kind of portray those Confucius Institutes as being similar to like France's Alliance Francais or Germany's uh, Goethe Institute, these types of things. Now, see, both of these types of things, the ones from France and things from uh, Germany, when they go on to U.S. college campuses and things like that, they'll receive government funding to give language and cultural classes. OK, so, I mean, you actually promote something like that. But see, the difference here is. The Confucius Institutes are embedded within the educational institutions themselves, which are pretty much like the U.S. institutions. I don't have to tell you the way that a lot of those institutions lean, a way that a lot of these academics think, which in turn means that the institutions themselves are committed to the type of free intellectual inquiry that kind of makes it impossible for the Confucius Institutes to not promote whatever they want. So it allows them to, to have a free hand to go in and, and teach all this propaganda to our students and to our, uh, our up and comings. But see, here's the other problem to it. Most people that look at those institutions, casual observers and things like that, they might not realize that the founding principles of these institutions themselves. What do I mean by that? These institutions, Confucius Institutes, they will they'll specifically say that Chinese law applies in these groups. Well, no, no, it doesn't. You're not in China. One of the other issues was these institutes were being used for surveillance of Chinese students who might be considered dissidents or 
They're not sure if they're reliable or not. So it was a way to keep an eye on their exchange students in other countries to make sure they were loyal Chinese, so to speak, uh, and not becoming westernized or whatever the term might be. But the fact that they were being used for surveillance of other Chinese students in America by Chinese authorities. That's correct. That's correct. Because one other point to these institutes, these uh, these organizations on university campuses is precisely that. And that is that they will, the CCP I'm speaking of, the Chinese Communist Party, they will employ staffers who will actually be exactly what you just said. They'll be the minders, if you will, right? The state-sponsored minders. And they'll make sure that people are kept in line uh, and doing what they're supposed to. And especially if there's such as like, uh, if if there's, um, you know, some type of discussion or like if it's an open table, a round table type discussion or study group or something like that, anyone that holds a discussion on topics such as, um, say, like, you know, a couple of things I mentioned there, Taiwan or Tibet, they'll make sure that those conversations aren't had. You know, so they'll make sure that that uh, that that agenda is carried and followed. So but yes, uh, the Confucius Institutes, I mean, this is like I said, this is one of the main things that uh, the U.S. Congress is looking into. And the, the problem is, is little about these institutes. Like I said, they're not transparent largely. So you can't really say even what amount of money. Right. And when I say money, I'm talking about uh, Chinese government money, you know, CCP money. You don't know how much actually goes to individual host universities. And it's also kind of shrouded in secrecy on what level of control the universities have over the curricula within those institutes themselves, because the agreements in between these institutes and the universities, those are confidential. So you really don't get to see what goes on as far as any type of agreements. You don't see how much money goes into it. And you have state-sponsored minders that come over to make sure people are kept in line. Discussions that need to be had are not being had. And the agenda gets steered in a specific way. How is that not a problem? How is that not a problem in our educational institutions? Well, I'm concerned about the lack of oversight just in general over these institutes. Like you were saying, where's the money coming from? What's the agenda? Where are the staffers? Where did they come from? You know, do they have a, a secondary mission? It's that lack of oversight that concerns a lot of people about just what is their purpose? How are they achieving it? Who's funding it? A lot of people, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of answers to these questions out there because, as you said, the confidentiality agreements, uh, the secrecy. Some would say, oh, well, it's their culture. Well, not really. It's not a culture. It, it's the communist, the Chinese Communist Party that's setting the agenda. And at least to me, it seems like these institutes are part of that agenda to achieve their end, end game, whatever that might be. And it's also the universities themselves, most notably the universities we're talking about now. You mentioned MIT. MIT is not in this list that I'm looking at right now that Congress is going to be looking into. Representative Jim Jordan, who's been an outspoken House member as of late from my state, and bravo to him. Representative Virginia Fox from North Carolina, Representative James Comer from Kentucky. These are the three uh, reps that are going to be looking at. They're going to be looking at several top universities across the United States in connection to the stuff that we just talked about. The Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania came under fire over its alleged failure to disclose 70 million in grants from China between 27 and 19 or 27 and 2019. Huh, wonder why. But the universities that are under investigation right now, the ones they're going to be looking at are Harvard University, University of Pennsylvania, and Yale. Those are the three. They were among the institutions that were sent letters by Congress that request the release of their internal financial documents. Again, this is the issue. Are those documents going to show? Because the backstory to this, I, I just explained. Are these documents going to show, these financial records, are they going to show the amount of money that's being pumped into the CCP, to these Confucius Institutes that are using the universities to operate? Bruce, what are your thoughts on this? Honestly, I really hope they do kind of go in there and start rooting this out. 
China is not a friend. They have made it very clear that they're against us. So uh, we should be doing all we can to really root out any of the um, CCP's, uh, you know, propaganda machines. So I'm I'm all for Congress going in and uh, investigating this. And I, I hope they do uh, resolve any any issues there. I would just be happy to see more oversight or at least, you know, shine the light. Let's see what's in the shadows, because it bothers me that there's very little oversight or public acknowledgement about these institutions. And again, it's not the Chinese people. It's the Chinese Communist Party that I believe is the driving force behind them. Correct. And I'm glad Bruce made a difference between the two. But that's all I got. There's some other things to note here as well. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Just the universities. I mean, as you said, Bruce, you really want Congress to be digging around in there and, and to stopping this because they are not a friend. They are not. Sorry. They're in an open war with the U.S. They have been for a very long time. It's just we've had ridiculous sellout policies because we have corrupt finance capital and we've got corrupt politicians on both sides that have sold us out. And so they're going to go along with the program. But most notably, this is not all that they're involved in. So don't just think, oh, well, they're yeah, they're involved in our uh, in our education system. Oh, no, 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 no. They're involved in so much more than that. And like I said, we'll get into this at some point. We probably sh- we should do this sooner rather than later, I think. Maybe maybe we can tackle this this coming week, Bruce, because and I always say that. But we should do a deep dive on their power strategy because I think now's a great time to get into it. But most notably, not just education. Education is just a piece of it, okay? Just one little part of it. They get into publishing. They get into media. Of course, they do academia. They do the universities. They get into technology. Look what they've done as far as the technology industry in the United States. Look how much they're in bed with Silicon Valley. Google, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, Cisco, Broadcom. Any of this sounding familiar? Let's not forget their, um, as I've heard it coined, the beans and bridges, uh, especially Africa. Oh, we'll build the infrastructure. We'll build the railroads. We'll build the roads. We just want your mineral rights. We just want, you know, to be able to buy some oil. Their influence that they are extending into the world at large through educational initiatives, uh, road building, infrastructure building. Oh, we'll build you a dam. We'll build you a power plant. Oh, you know, we just we just want to dig up some of your ground. That's all. Rare earth minerals. You know, that that's a, that's a big problem right now in the world is China has the market on rare earth minerals. And that's used in anything from electronics to computers, high end avionics. Um, and that's just that one little slice of the pie. As you were saying, they got their fingers everywhere. They do. And this is one of the big issues that they're running into in places like Australia. You've got the Australians. Right. And credit to the Aussies for standing up. They're saying, look, we're not going to do business with you people anymore. Get out. So I got to give them credit for that. However, that is one of their strategies as well, is going around making deals with the country to build infrastructure in exchange for mineral extraction, resource extraction. That's what they're doing. They do have the market cornered when it comes to rare earth minerals. That belonged to us in the West. That particular thing belonged to us in the West. But we had the corrupt capital. The corrupt finance capital, the corrupt politicians, they sold that out from underneath of us. The same thing with the pharmaceutical industry. The same thing is now happening with our farmland and our resources, all going to Chinese investments. For God's sake, if we want penicillin, we got to call up the Chicoms. Penicillin. You want vitamin C. You want pure ascorbic acid. You got to call up the Chicoms, unless you know where else to get it. They hold 90% of the APIs, the active pharmaceutical ingredients, to make pharmaceutical medicines. How on earth did that happen? Are you kidding me? That burns me up every time I sit here and talk about it. They hold a 98%, a 98% market share on rare earth minerals. Trump comes out, and I'm, I'm not sitting here defending Trump, right? 
I'm just I'm simply stating he comes out. He makes one statement, one one statement. Hey, China's got over a 90 percent monopoly on all these rare earth minerals. I, I think we need to look at that. Man, the media jumped all over him like he was some kind of uh, you know demon or something. I could not believe it. I thought, wait a minute. You people are that sick that you don't even you don't even want one factory, not one. Can, can, can we just get one? I understand that you're marketing the slave labor and everything in in China with, uh, you know, Apple and all that stuff because they spend fifty dollars to make an iPhone and you pay a thousand dollars for it. Okay, I understand what they're doing there. It's horrible. It's horrible. I don't endorse that. I never will. That's slave labor. That's why they do it in China. So they can get away with it. You can't do that here. All they would like to. I would ask the media who they're, um, you know, who, who are they working for here? If they're so if they want to bash Trump so hard on wanting to. Uh you know, investigate the CCP, I would uh, then question and and investigate them. But, that, you know, that's me. Which that is coming. And when I say that's coming, AG Barr came out last week and said that they're going to now start investigating everything up to and including American companies that take Chinese money. And if anyone within that organization is found to take Chinese money, it's possible that those organizations could be seized in the interest of national security. Hmm. I, I hate that we've come to that point because I don't like government seizures and I, I don't either. Yeah, yeah. But we've talked about that before. We, we've talked about that before in relation mm-hmm. to, say, like our farmland example. Mm-hmm. Right now, mm-hmm. uh, the Chicoms are targeting our oil fields, not the reserves, our fields in Texas. Mm-hmm. They're looking to buy them up for pennies on the dollar. They've already bought the U.S.'s largest pork producer. They're buying up our farmland. We know that. We know that. So at what point do you step in as the federal government and say, uh, I'm sorry, we're not going to allow you to do that. If you buy out our resources, if you buy out our our food production, you buy, you've already bought out our medical protective equipment. You've already bought out our pharmaceutical industry. Now you want to buy out our food. You want to buy out our natural resources that keep our nation. Run- no, you're no longer sovereign at that point. That is a national security issue. The government has right. to step in at that point, in my opinion. They have to step in. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do? And I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. You use hard tactics on it. You don't do this. I'm going to take a line here from Marty. I know it's, he's not here. He's going to love this, though. You don't go at it with this mealy mouth cap in hand type approach. You walk up with a suitcase full of money because that's all they know. And you say, here you go. This is what you paid plus 10 percent. Have a nice day. And you kick them out of the country. It's that simple. Mm. That's hardball. I, well, I mean, I honestly that. That's a little more generous than I. So, I'm not for the government coming in and seizing things, but at the same time, if you're going to go in and seize it, then you give them what they paid for it and kick them out. I, I wouldn't be as generous and give them 10 percent personally, but you know, five percent. I think there would have to be something because otherwise we'll get dragged into the world court. So you know, five percent, 10 percent. That's generous, but I think that's a doable number, but nothing more than that. Because realistically, it does come down to a national security standpoint, whether it's PPE, pharmaceuticals, oil, whatever it is. At what point, you know, do we wake up one day and go, wait, what, what, where's my fork? Why do I have chopsticks? What, you know, what's going on? And, and to me, that's, that's, that's what's happening. We live slowly but surely for the almighty profit. And I think part of it is because we kick the can down the road as Americans. We don't really look long term for us tomorrow, next week, maybe next month, next year, if we're really, really lucky. The Communist Party, they look 5, 10, 20 years down the road. They play the long term game. And, and that's where they beat us more often than not, because we, as Americans, I don't see us planning long term in terms of decades the way the uh, Communist Party does. 
But that, you know, that's just my thought. I could be wrong, but it just seems like we kick the can down the road in a lot of stuff. Oh, we'll we'll put a Band-Aid on it now and we'll fix it later. Whether it's campaign finance reform, financial strategies, we just seem to go for that quick profit rather than the long-term goal. But again, that's just me. So I don't know how you guys feel about it. No, they do play the long game. They do play a, a long strategy. They they do play in half century plans. And that's just where we're at at this moment, right? It's It's been a, a 50 year plan that they've been working on and they're working on another one. And they're looking to take in, what was it, Bruce? They're looking to 2050. Is that it? Uh, yeah, that's that's the current plan. They want to have control of the world basically by 2050. And see, this is the problem with the elites that they're using here in the West, which I'm going to reference COVID here because, look, let's be honest, right? Because that's the elephant in the room here is that's where it came from. So if they're going to continue to do this, right? I mean, for crying out loud, do your own research on it. But Fauci and Gates funded those labs in China to cook this thing up and brought it here to the West. That's what it was for. It's not legal for them to do that here in the West. So they do their dirt in China. That's the real cover up here. That's the real crime here. So they're using it as a as a power grab. Uh, and it's disgusting. And see, here's the problem. People know who they are. And worse than that, they know that we know who they are. And so everything is falling apart around them. And so they're trying to they're trying to manage this control collapse and it's getting away from them, right? It's getting out of hand for them. So this is why we're seeing more and more and more and double down and double down. They won't admit fault. There will never be an admission of fault. None. These people will go to the end and they'll keep doubling down because that's just what they do. We are going to have to jump out of here today, but I wanted to make a couple of mentions. For those who have not, and you would like to, as I sound like a broken record at this point, please do give us a follow over on the social media platform of Parlor. We love hearing your feedback. We love getting your likes, your upvotes, your echoes, your comments, all of the above. Uh, we really do appreciate that. Love hearing from you. And if you would please pass us along to friends and family, that would be a great, great thing for us because we try to maintain a family-oriented atmosphere around here. We don't come unglued too much. Sometimes, though, you got you to kind of control Bruce. He just gets out of hand too much. But <laughs> I mean, okay. you're fairly right. Sometimes I do come a little unhinged. Some, sometimes, yeah. But you can follow myself on Parlor. You can follow me at Jay Anderson 3 You can follow Marty as well, at Marty Foster. Although I think he's a little tied up right now. He's getting ready to uh, uh, to go on vacation. Uh, or I think it's vacation. I'm not sure. But also some other platforms that we're on. If you do recommend us to friends and family, and we would, we would really love it if you would do so. We're on a wide array of platforms. Whatever you listen to, we're probably on it. So uh, the US, we're on Pandora. That's a big one. Apple Podcasts, obviously, we're on Apple Podcasts all across the world. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on Podbean. We're on uh, Deezer. We're on TuneIn Radio. You can listen to us through your Amazon device. I'm not going to say the name of it because it will trigger it. Uh, you can listen to us through that. We're also on some of the other networks that are kind of off to the side. We're on Overcast. If anyone uses these, we're on Stitcher. We're on Pocket Cast. We're on Castro. We're on CastBox. We're on Listen Notes. Uh, if you would please give us a follow over there, you could give us a subscribe. It costs you nothing. And if you could rate us five stars, that would be a very big help too as well. So we would really appreciate it, especially if you like the content that you're hearing. Bruce, Tavish, thank you guys both for your time tonight. My pleasure. You guys have a good night. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow. 